0: Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you connect your faith with public life and politics and give you a better perspective on what it means to live faithful citizenship today. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, the public policy voice of the Catholic Church in Minnesota. Joining me in studio today is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Hey, Kit.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a very blessed Saturday.
0: You can catch the Bridge Builder program each Saturday here on Relevant Radio, AM 1330 at 11 AM. You can also catch up on past episodes online. Just visit mncatholic.org slash podcast. Again, that's mncatholic.org forward slash podcast. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Each week, we bring you great interviews and some of the major issues impacting how we live our faith in the public arena. We also answer your questions through our mailbag segment. You can email those questions at any time to show at mncatholic.org. Again, that's show at mncatholic.org. Or you can contact us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So people can ask questions like, why are the bishops taking a position on this piece of legislation? I want to know more about this specific issue, care for creation or immigration or sanctity of life. So please send us your questions to show at mncatholic.org. And it wouldn't be the bridge builder if we didn't provide you with practical ways that you can build bridges to bring the faith in the, to the public arena each week through our bricklayer segment. The common good is built brick by brick by each of us. Today, we're really blessed uh, with a really an outstanding guest. Uh, Dr. Andrew Basevich is on the line all the way from Massachusetts. He is professor, Professor Emeritus of International Relations at Boston University and a retired colonel in the United States Army. He is the author of many books, including The New American Militarism, How Americans Are Seduced by War. American Empire, the Realities and Consequences of U.S. Diplomacy, and America's War for the Greater Middle East. I can tell you from experience that his writings are incredibly informative and consequential and really one of the premier thinkers on foreign policy and military policy and strategy today. Welcome, Dr. Bacevich.
2: Well, thank you very much.
0: It's it's a delight to have you, and uh, not only are you a, a, an important thinker in these questions, you're also a Catholic as well, and uh, I think that means that uh, we should pay particular attention to what you have to say, because a lot of it is formed by a very important moral perspective. How has your faith shaped your analysis of warfare and international relations, such as calling preventive war, for example, immoral, illicit,
2: and imprudent? Well, I think that— uh I think, in a sense, uh, my my thinking <laughs> uh, sort of breaks into two uh, chapters. And chapter one is the Cold War, and chapter two is everything that's happened since the Cold War. Uh, both as a Catholic uh, and as a soldier uh, during my, uh, you know, portion of my uh, mature life, I think I had a fairly un-nuanced perspective on the Cold War, uh, freedom against unfreedom, godless communism against uh, Christendom, God was on our side. Uh, I'm I'm sort of speaking in an oversimplified way, but at root, uh, that's uh, the way it looked to me at that time, and therefore I rather reflexively, I think, uh, tended to support whatever the United States was doing in the world. Uh, it would be wrong to say uh, that U.S. actions back then were uh, principled or, or always wise. But the, at root, uh, it was a matter of defending against communism, and I supported that project. When the Cold War ended with the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, that logic uh, went away. Uh, And I came to have, this is about the same time I'm getting out of the Army, uh, and I came to have a different, more critical uh, perspective on U.S. policy post-Cold War, uh, where it seemed to me that our actions... uh, were no longer informed by any sense of prudence, uh, but tended to be informed by hubris. You know, we had won the Cold War. We were the only superpower remaining. We were the indispensable nation. And also informed by a misunderstanding and misuse of American military power, which found us uh, intervening with something like promiscuity and culminating after 9-11 in the normalization of war. So as a young man, I was largely supportive of U.S. foreign policy. As now an aging man, I've come to be uh, pretty critical of it.
0: Right now, we're in another conflict, it seems, with Iran, and there's a threat of war and a lot of discussion around that, and it's very deeply concerning for many of us. Why is it that the United States cannot seem to disentangle itself from Middle Eastern conflict while other great powers, um, not Russia perhaps, but China, seem conspicuously absent from some of those conflicts?
2: Yeah, I mean, that is a crucially important question. Uh, It doesn't have a simple answer. Uh, I think Uh, One answer, uh, in a sense, is what I was just suggesting about uh, the transformative effect of the end of the Cold War on American thinking, particularly in elite circles, uh, that there was a sense, and it still persists to a considerable degree, uh, that as the sole remaining superpower, given our presumed military supremacy, uh, given the uh, the, the the conviction, however uh, flawed, that at the end of history, the American way, liberal democratic capitalism, was destined to become universal. All of these together, I think, led to a, 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 a sense that we could do just about anything in the world and, and, and that the costs would be minimal and the likelihood, success would be very great. And that's sort of one of the things, I think, that gets us where we are. A second one is the the, the lack of interest of the American people uh, in what we do in the world. At the end of the Vietnam War, the United States abandoned a trad- the tradition of the citizen-soldier, which had been really the foundation of the American military system going all the way back to 1775, and the, the notion that for big wars, we would rely on citizen-soldiers to defend the nation and its vital interests. After Vietnam, that notion went away. We embraced the notion of a professional army. We choose to call it the All-Volunteer Force. Uh, and, and making the All-Volunteer Force the foundation of the American military system basically gave a pass to the American people. Uh, we purport to support the troops, we really don't pay much attention to what the troops are doing. And therefore, there's not any serious evaluation of what the, uh, the U.S. infatuation with war has, has led to, what it has cost, what consequences have resulted. Others have written that, for example, um, our post-9-11 wars have cost trillions of dollars, it will cost trillions more before the last bill has been paid. And it's, it's remarkable, really. I mean, this is, is well-known, talked about, but it's remarkable that that fact has so little political salience because the American people have disengaged from their military. So that's the, one of the factors that explains uh, why the record of military disappointment and of failure doesn't lead to serious uh, reconsideration uh, over, o- about what we're doing.
0: We're speaking with Dr. Andrew basevich an important Catholic thinker on questions of foreign policy and Professor Emeritus of International Relations at Boston University. Dr. Basevich, will you say a little bit more about today's military, how it's the same or perhaps different? I mean, I think it's there's a very romantic view of the military in our culture. Um, every sporting event has a moment in which we honor a soldier. It's are very aggressive in its marketing um, and in commercials. How does, uh, the what, you know, what is your view of the military today? Do Catholics need to reconsider the ethics of joining or supporting family members who join? Or share us a little bit about your perspective on what's going on in the military well, today.
2: Well, I'm not sure I, I'd sort of uh, presume to offer people advice on whether whether or not to serve. Uh, I mean, I, I persist <laughs> in thinking that military service is... Uh, Honorable service to the nation is honorable. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, well, maybe not the fact, my strong, my strong belief is that uh, we have succumbed as a nation uh, to a form of militarism uh, that has led to uh, the irresponsible use of force in wars that are unnecessary, wars that have been badly managed, Wars that have cost a lot and haven't achieved much. So any young person who is uh, considering uh, enlisting in the military ought to do so with you know, their eyes wide open, recognize uh, that uh, military service is not all glory, and, and, and that, quite frankly, the lip service paid to, the, to our soldiers is just that. It's just lip service. Uh, and that, you know, one, one needs to be realistic about what uh, serving in the United States military today uh, entails. We've just had a couple more uh, killed in Afghanistan. Uh, we've, we've been at that war now for, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, just closing in on, what, 18 years, 19 years. There's no end in sight. There's frankly no purpose uh, being served. Uh, by our continuing efforts there, Uh, and that is part of what it means to be uh, a soldier today. So whether you're a Catholic or not, uh, one needs to have a clear-eyed appreciation of what, what military service entails today.
0: Dr. Basevich, the Church of the United States through the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has said much with regard to specific foreign policy questions such as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but it seems less able to speak at the macro level to some of the questions that you've raised in your writing, such as the militarism, um, the messianism, and one might say even some of the excesses and hubris of American exceptionalism that shape our foreign policy. Why do you think
2: that is? Well, I'm not... I'm not an expert on the history of the Church in the United States, but my broad understanding, and if, if, we, if we go back, let's say, 100 a, a years from now, uh, before now, when the Church really was an immigrant church, uh, when the immigrants uh, were not necessarily uh, being welcomed into the mainstream of American society, and Irish, Italian, uh, Poles, uh, uh, my grandparents came from Lithuania, My sense is that the hierarchy at that time uh, quite consciously uh, tried to uh, advertise that the American Church was a patriotic church, Uh, and this was a way to try to facilitate the incorporation of these immigrant Catholics into full citizenship, a a, a project that has now been, I think, uh, largely Accomplished, but in making this compromise uh, with with the country, uh, I think that the the American hierarchy, in many respects, forfeited its capacity to think critically about uh, the nation's role in the world. And of course, given the the scandals that have, uh, you know, the scandals of the past what fifteen or so years now. Uh, the American church, I think the hierarchy at least, has, uh, has little authority, little credibility uh, to, to speak about the broad issues of war and peace. Uh, that, that may be not least among uh, the misfortunes that have resulted from the clergy sex abuse scandal.
0: I think there's a lot of truth in what you say that, um, especially uh, given the immigrant history of the church and the importance of being good Americans for so long, especially in the uh, First and Second World Wars, um, that culture in the church, that patriotism, uh, has continued. So I think that's a very prescient uh, perspective. Say a little bit about how the church might regain its voice. What resources can it draw on uh, to Provide and help foster perhaps a renewal or a prophetic voice when, with regard to some of these questions of American foreign policy and uh, some of the militarism in our culture.
2: Well, I, I mean, I have to admit, I'm not optimistic about that because this, uh, this the scandals just seem to uh, never go away, and un- until they do, until there is a clear resolution, uh, which I think will require r- reforms in the church that few. In their hierarchy, seem willing to accept. I just don't see it, I just don't see the church regaining that uh, moral credibility anytime soon. Were it to do so, however, then it seems to me that, uh, that, that, that the church could once again bring to the forefront an appreciation of uh, just war theory. Uh, to, which gets a certain amount of lip service uh, in in Washington, but as a practical matter, uh, does not have any significant effect on on U.S. policy. I mean, the entire Iraq War experience really uh, was at odds with uh, the, uh, the the just war theory. Uh, so, I think just war theory could be talked about a bit more. I think that the you know the example of American Catholics, uh, such as Dorothy Day, prominently, uh, in her principled pacifism, pacifism being part of the fabric of genuine Catholicism. Uh, I'm not sure that all that many of us are actually willing to sign up to pacifism, but nonetheless, in her example, in the, in the example of Catholic workers, uh, there. are there are things that all of us can learn from. Uh, so so there are aspects of our tradition, aspects of our history in this country uh, that perhaps deserve a greater emphasis than they have gotten of late.
0: Dr. Basevich, you've pointed out how it might be a problem uh, given the moral authority right now of uh, the Catholic bishops in this country, sadly. Uh, to speak into that public conversation. But what would you say to young lay people, especially in terms of those thinking about or perhaps considering a vocation to maybe um, help the church and help the United States think more uh, deeply and critically and from an important moral perspective about foreign policy questions, questions of just war, et cetera, et cetera. What what advice would you give to them about studying international relations or particular experiences in the work world that they should have? What, What would you say to young people considering to filling that gap that you described.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I was a professor of international relations, also a professor, professor of history, but if you think about the field of international relations uh, as a discipline at the present moment, uh, what gets taught, uh, what, what kind of students enter into international relations programs and what they aspire to become. I think, that it, I'm overstating the case, but I think the IR field is kind of a factory uh, to produce people to go into government, and in doing so, to sustain uh, the general thrust of U.S. foreign policy, not, not, not to ask first-order questions about why we do in the world what we do. So I think it's the, the first cautionary note to somebody interested in that is, no, don't don't forfeit your independence. Uh, go into the field. Go into the study of international relations or into the study of American diplomatic history, intent on maintaining a critical distance uh, rather than being absorbed into or absorbing the the conventional wisdom if somebody's able to do that then i don't minimize the challenge of maintaining intellectual independence if somebody's able to do that then you can come to a come to a deeper appreciation of you know why we have 800 bases around the world why we spend more money on our military than the next whatever it is whatever it is 6 8 10 uh, largest military spending countries in the world. Why it is that war has become normalized, it's accepted, uh, both by foreign policy elites and by the American people generally. Those are huge uh, problems that tend to be glossed over, or, or even to be seen as not problems. <laughs> uh, and so we need to have uh, a young, uh, younger cohort of people who wish to uh, be part of America playing its role in the world, who come at it from a more critical perspective.
0: Yeah, it seems that violence has become the normal mode of conflict resolution more and more. Dr. Basevich, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. You've offered a really great perspective that gives us much food for thought on questions of war, foreign policy, peace, and the American military. Dr. Andrew Basevich is the author, again, of The New American Militarism How Americans Are Seduced by War and America's War for the Greater Middle East. Dr. Basevich, thanks very much for joining us today. God bless you. Oh, thank you. We'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to the Bridge Builder Program, where we help you connect your Catholic faith with public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. We're going to delve into our mailbag to hear what comments and questions our listeners have been sending to our producer, Kit Cross. Kit, what do you have for today?
1: Well, so earlier this year, the Minnesota Catholic Conference, we released an educational resource called Minnesota, Our Common Home. For any of our listeners, if you've not yet had a chance to read this document, you can find it on our website at mncatholic.org forward slash our common home. So just to give you a brief overview, the document's going to help you put teachings from Pope Francis's encyclical Laudato Si' into a local context here in Minnesota to help us all better understand and live out this concept of integral ecology. There's been a lot of positive comments and people who are eager for more resources to keep learning how to live out integral ecology. But Jason, people are also wondering why does this educational resource focus on care for creation when there's other issues such as abortion and assisted suicide that also
0: need to be addressed? Well, there are a lot of issues that need, that are urgent and need consideration. And surprisingly, with a Catholic theological and philosophical perspective brought to bear, we see how everything is connected, as Pope Francis says. So, yes, there are urgent questions, and the, in particular, encyclical uses the uh, crisis of the care for creation, uh, particularly climate change, um, the all sorts of problems with regard to water protection, our global resources, uh, the well-being of the environment and its impact on the poor, et cetera, et cetera. These are huge, huge issues uh, all across the globe, but it really uses the encyclical as a starting point to really introduce people to a Catholic way of thinking about these questions. And not by questions, I mean all of creation and, and is addressed. Everything is connected, as Pope Francis says. So it's a document or an encyclical, that in that we're talking about Laudato Si, Pope Francis' encyclical that talks about uh, climate change, but it also talks about gender theory, mm-hmm. for example. Um, it talks about abortion. Um, one can't be pro-life and uh, have no concern for the environment, and vice versa. That uh, population control is not necessarily—it's well, it's not the answer to um, environmental stewardship. We need to find better ways to help people uh, and uh, at the same time work to steward the environment as well. And those are not either or issues. It's a both and. Everything is connected. But Pope Francis in the encyclical proposes the idea of integral ecology that uh, we have to create an ethic or embrace an ethic that uh, respects humans and the natural environment, our common home, and does just, does justice to both. Really, what's wonderful about this encyclical and why we decided to translate it into a local context here in Minnesota through our resource, Minnesota, a common home, is it's really a representation of the natural law, mm-hmm. right? That in a in a world where truth, it seems, and reality is so built into the subjective, what Pope Francis is calling to is recognizing the objective data of reality, that God has created the world. He's created the stuff all around us, the earth, but also our bodies. Uh, And these have an objective nature to them that needs to be respected in its possibilities and its limitations. There is a truth. The truth of these things exists outside of our own subjective consciousness. So really what he's Pope Francis is inviting us to is a re-engagement with reality. And uh, it's in the is a beautiful invitation to all people to consider the Catholic perspective on these questions and through a discussion of the environment, see how everything else is connected. If you're concerned about, um, water quality and water pollution, you should also be concerned about the way in which contraceptive hormones are altering, uh, mm-hmm. our water resources, for example. So, um, One of our uh, resources has said that uh, the great thinkers locally has said that humane Vitae was kind of the opening document uh, that's led up to Laudato Si because Mm -hmm. the way of looking at creation stewardship and our role as stewards of that gift, again, respecting the natural limitations of things and their possibilities as well. So. He's inviting—Pope Francis is inviting us to think about integral ecology, and then that has some local policy considerations as well that we talk about in the document. But it's using the environmental crisis as an evangelical moment. A starting point for a greater conversation that we hope leads to what he calls ecological conversion, but also to an embrace an ethic that addresses some of these questions that others have mentioned. Assisted suicide, for example, is one of them. If we think about our bodies and our lives, <laughs> and we're stewards of those bodies, and, mm-hmm. and, and we don't have dominion or mastery over them. They're given to us um, because uh, we're embodied creatures. We're embodied souls then it's important that we are stewards of those things and having an ethic of integral ecology in which we embrace the reality and responsibilities that we're given as stewards is going to have an impact not just on how we treat our bodies, but also how we treat the earth as well. And that's the real great possibility built in with this resource, Minnesota, Our Common Home, which again is a translation and a shortened, condensed version of Pope Francis's encyclical, Laudato Si'.
1: That's all really great, and we don't have too much more time with our listeners today, but if they want to check it out, again, you can go to mncatholic.org forward slash Our Common Home. You can download your own copy or you can order copies. Maybe you want to share it at your parish. So before we go today, we want to provide each of you some practical ways that you can live out your call to be a faithful citizen that's going to help you to bridge the gap between faith and politics.
0: We call this the bricklayer segment. Uh, Again, the common good is built brick by brick by each of us. Uh, We don't have to change the world, but we can, as Mother Teresa said, uh, do small things with great love, right? So uh, we offer this little pointer for bringing your faith into public life. And part of that is informing your conscience. People always want to know what to read. How can I stay informed? Do I have to watch the 24-7 news cycle? And in fact, uh, my counsel would be to stay out of the Mm 24-7 news cycle cycle, precisely because oftentimes what's reported as news turns out to be, quote, fake news or the truth of the matter comes out differently. The the television news is sort of like a soap opera, right? You can (laughs) tune in about once a week or once every two weeks and kind of be kept up to date. Our counsel is really to read widely, um, stay generally out of the news cycle, but then, you know, come together, uh, come into the conversation maybe once a week to just check in on the news, what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. But don't feel like you need to be watching the news every single moment, but then find resources across the ideological spectrum that can inform your viewpoint. We have to recognize that everyone's got a perspective. Everyone's got an angle. And so the most, to the extent we can diversify our reading sources and the way in which we consume information and consume the news, it's going to give us a better angle um, on what's actually going on. And then we can apply the relevant principles of Catholic social teaching to our understanding of how to respond to particular events, how to respond to particular questions. Listen, for example, to the bridge builder program every week and you can hear people like Andrew Basevich talking about American foreign policy as we're yet embroiled in another middle Eastern conflict. So look for things that are less punditry, uh, one might say, in less uh, news presentation, but more uh, analytic from sources that you trust, sources that are really thinking through these issues, not sensationalizing, et cetera, et cetera. I have to realize that a lot of media is really built to sell beer and shampoo. And so they, they're <laughs> like addictive mechanisms. They want to bring you back and back, stoke your emotions, try to pull yourself out of that, but then read widely, consume media from a wide variety of sources.
1: So I think that's about all we have time for today. <laughs>
0: people can become a sponsor of the bridge builder program it helps us keep it on the air it's a great opportunity for businesses and organizations to advertise to a a market and a listenership of really engaged catholics let your listeners know that you support the catholic faith and bringing it into the public arena contact kit via our show email show at mncatholic.org for more information about sponsorship opportunities or visit our website to learn more You can also, again, be a part of our mailbag segment. Just send any of your questions or comments to show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on social media. Then tune in next week to find out if we include your question or comment. Remember, you can catch up on any episodes online at mncatholic.org slash podcast or search for the Bridge Builder podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for tuning in today to the Bridge Builder program. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and politics by living out the Catholic faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins for Kit Cross of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. Have a great weekend.